Last week, we started off with this question about what will it be like with the lost? And we talked about as soon as the rapture happens, seven years begin, seven years of tribulation. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail just because we went through this last week, but Revelation chapter 5, we have this vision, this scene of heaven, and, and we went through the details of this, the fact that they're, they're sitting in heaven and, and they've got this scroll, and the question is, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy uh, to be able to do this? And, and they said, uh, the one stood up, there's a lamb that had been slain, and he, he was worthy to open it, and they praised and they worshiped God. It was this wonderful thing. And this scroll had these seven seals. They began to pop the seals off one by one. They began to break the seals. Seal number one that we went into was the Antichrist. We explained as we introduced this, as he would be the main character uh, that was witnessed through the uh, tribulation period. He would be a false Christ. He would be a great deceiver. Uh, the Bible says that for many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and shall deceive many. And this is review of what we went through. The, the, the fact is, you say, how is he able to pull off what he's going to do with satanic power to deceive? And we, we read this sometimes and think, man, how could the ra- uh, rapture happen and nobody question or whatever? The Bible says that he will deceive many. He is a liar, a manipulator. Number three, he, the, 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 we described him as he will offer a false peace. He comes in, the Bible says in Revelation 16, he, behold, he comes in on this white horse. He, he, he's ushered in, riding on this platform, if you would, delivering peace. Why would he have to do that? Because the world is in turmoil. And so he delivers this peace. Seal number two was war and slaughter. We talked about, you talking about, you take God and Christianity and morals out of a world, there's lawlessness. The Bible even says in Revelation 6, 4, and it says that they should kill one another. We, we, we our minds just run with ideas of what this could be like, but the, the, the bottom line of what's going on is the fact that it's lawless. They're rising up, there's bloodshed. The Bible says there was given unto him a great sword, there's division, there's fighting. Seal number three is broken. The Bible talks about famine. In Revelation 6, 5, he says, come and see and behold, lo, a black horse. And there's, there's death that's coming in. People are starving and describes this. He had a pair of balances in their hand. Economic fallout. We've seen this. 9-11 comes and different thing that happens and the economy crashes. Seal number four makes sense. Then comes death. And I'm not just saying death. It says that this death would kill a, a fourth of the population of the world would die. We figured this out last week. That's like one point something billion people that would die. You talk about disease spreading and the fact that they could not handle this all at once. And it says would kill with hunger, with death, with beasts on the earth. Our minds can't even fathom what all is transpiring during this time of disease spreading and sickness. And we think when we hear of the cases of COVID, it's nothing compared to that. Seal number five is the martyrs. We're going to answer this question in a minute. Can people be saved during the tribulation period? We're going to look at that and explain that here in a minute. But there is martyrs. And he said, when they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Which literally means there's people saved during that time. There's people that will be accepting Jesus Christ. And I'll illustrate that here in a minute. Number six is natural disasters. The Bible says in Revelation 6, 12, there was great earthquakes. Verse 13 says, the stars of heaven fell, even as it were, was a fig tree, casteth forth her untimely figs when it was shaken of the mighty wind. And imagine all of these calamities happening at one time. You say, what would that look like? 
I, I, I think of like us getting the news and they're saying this dust storm's coming over from Africa. We're talking about the, the hornets coming into the United States. You know what I'm saying? All these things make the news and the headlines. It would be like that, but it's just multiplied it, it, like on an intense level. I mean, it would just be the world is going through so much turmoil. Seal number seven ushers in the trumpet judgments. But the Bible describes that there's silence, silence in heaven. And I don't know what's happening, and it literally says for 30 minutes, what is happening to the degree that all of heaven gets quiet. And it says in Revelation 8.1, and it says that when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of, an, uh, of a half hour. And this brings us to the middle of the tribulation period. So now we've got to pause because we've explained something that the, the tribulation period is seven years. It's divided. It has a three and a half year mark. Well, at the three and a half year mark, after that, it becomes what we refer to as a lot of people refer to as the great tribulation. You think this is bad and we read all these things. Man, this is, this is crazy. This is bad. Yes, it is. But now we run into what we call the great tribulation period. And so if you read Revelation in sequential order, there's some things that doesn't make sense. Because when we get later into the chapters, like chapter 13... Chapter 13 starts laying out some of the details. It's kind of like the notes at the bottom of the page that it starts filling in the details of some of the things that you missed and that they want us to understand. So we're going to look at Revelation 13 a little bit, and I want to answer some questions of things that are going on that we see in this timeline. So just in your mind, know we're at the three and a half year mark. We're halfway through. There's about to be a big transition. Things are about to go crazy, and, and, and things are going to change. So in the halfway point, uh, we find out that the, uh, in Revelation 13, verse 3, the, the Antichrist dies. The Antichrist dies. Satan steps in. Then the Antichrist is raised from the dead. It says in Revelation 13, 3 and 4, he breaks peace with Israel. There's a great persecution of the Jews. Then something happens, and it's, it, he goes from just this peacemaker to this God. Literally. You talk about the false prophet that's happening, the false religion, them bowing down, worshiping the image of the beast. All these crazy things are happening during this time. Worship of the Antichrist begins. And this is where we begin to read about the introduction of the mark of the beast. So I want to start with that just because as we go from the three and a half mark to the end of the seven years, that is something that they're dealing with. Now every trumpet judgment and woe judgment and the bull judgments don't come out and say and during this time they were facing this but I want you to understand the 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 economy changed how they lived changed how they operated everything about to, for survival I mean we went through it uh just a, a little bit when they're having a corn coin shortage right now you say that's complicated you can't do certain things and you know the, the finances bottoming out and things like that we've dealt with it like this much but this is on a catastrophic level with this when we say the word beast the word beast in the bible represents an empire power an establishment of government okay so i know sometimes when we think of beast we think of a tiger or something okay so i i don't want us having the misunderstanding the beast is talking about the world order that's going on the mark of the beast or the image of the beast and those types of things it's the world order that's happening during this time and so he starts out as a, le a leader and now when he dies and comes back to life in revelation 13 3 and i saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death okay that's talking about the beast and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast 
So this head, this leader, the head, it it describes it, of, of this world order, dies. Now remember we were talking about how everything that happens, Satan mimics it. Satan loves to be a deceiver, a liar. That's why he comes in as peace. Jesus was introduced. Jesus is the prince of peace. Satan loves to come in and mimic everything to get the glory on himself. Isn't that what he started at the very beginning? He wanted to be rise up and claim to be God. So you got to understand, now that he rises from the dead, and everybody was like, they're mourning, they probably have the funerals and everything, and then he comes in, and he is alive. What do you think the reaction in the world would be? I will follow you. You're the answer. I want what you have. Man, no, I, I've, I, we've not had anybody this powerful. This leads us to the establishment of the mark of the beast, Revelation 13, 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark, in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he have the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. And the number is six hundred and three score and six, or six hundred and sixty-six, six, six, six. There's lots of debates as to what this is. I don't want to go into all the debates of what this is because there's books. You can go and Google Books, get on Amazon and see all the books of what this is. And you know what the crazy thing is? We're reading the verses that it says what it is. So how in the world can they write a book this big out of three verses? <laughs> That's the thing that boggles my mind. It's like, what are you adding to or taking away to be able to create your theories of some of these things? Now, do we see things in the world and it says, yeah, that makes sense. I like to look at things in the world and says, man, that adds up. That makes sense. I could see how it could be that. But I'm not going to write a book and tell people that that's what it is. You know why? Because Revelation, for a lot of things, is a mystery. I'm going to tell you, we just don't know. We don't know. God knows, and if he wanted us to know the details, we would be reading the details of it right now. I can tell you that. God didn't leave us in the dark. There's a couple of things that I want to observe so I can show you what it is, Okay. Number one, we know that this number represents man. 666 is short of what we know. We studied seven is the number of completion. Six is the number of man. It's literally in, in a sense that one thing would be is everything that God does, he does to completion. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. Six falls short of seven. Does it, it makes per- perfect sense why that would be man. Man was created on the sixth day. God rested on the seventh day. God was finished on that. And so we see that representing man. We know that the Bible actually says that. And so uh, let me lay out some points of this. Number one, it is a mark of loyalty or acceptance of the Antichrist. Just lay this out of what it is. the, The mark is tied to worship. This mark is tied to loyalty. This mark is more than just... You know, the fact that I accidentally got this and I was just trying to get a coupon or save some money or, you know, all these things that people are paranoid. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with a mixture into a cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. What I'm saying with this, it's not accidental. I, I'm saying that for us, and I mean, I, I'm hoping with the facts of this that you can understand that I've had people recently say, I don't want to accidentally take the mark of the beast. 
If you take the study in context of what we're talking about right now, somebody dies, is risen from the dead, builds an image of the beast, has false prophet, the world worships him, and then you look around there and I just ask you the question, are we seeing any of that right now? No, because we're not in the tribulation period right now. And if you say, well, how do you know that? Because we're reading it right now. We're studying it. We're going through the verses. The Bible's laying it out. The Bible gave a timeline so we could understand. So we can see these things of what's happening in, in right now. I've heard crazy things right now about people saying, well, it was Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Obama. You guys have heard it our whole lives, the different people that they point to and say, I truly believe this. We really don't know who or what other than the fact that we can see that these things must be tied to them. You guys get that? So, so there's things that are happening today, and you say, I wonder if this is it. Well, unless the dude died and raised, was raised from the dead, I'm not saying it's anything because I know what needs to happen. So ask yourself, uh, where does this line up in Revelation? You know, where is the beast today? Because of the fact is we've just read seven seal judgments that needed to happen to get to this point. That's important to understand. Um, who is telling us that you can't buy or sell today to do something? And I'll be honest, I've had people, and I know it was a joke in some levels and memes and people conversing about it and saying, well, they, they say that we can't buy or sell unless we have a mask. Maybe the mask is the mark of the beast. I'm going to tell you guys, the mask is not, okay, on TV, everybody watching, the mask is not the mark of the beast. You say, how do you know that? Just keep listening because <laughs> it does not line up. It does not line up. First of all, we have to be at the three and a half year mark to even be introduced to this stuff. I'm saying that to help you to chill so you don't have to be like all worried about this. Um, remember this in context is what I'm saying. Look at what's happening of, around this time. Secondly, can I throw this out there just to give you peace of mind? Can I, can I just give you guys something that I think we can get so wrapped up in something that we lose sight of something? I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to make a statement right now. I am a child of God. I can't go to hell. Amen. I can't. Which means I can't accidentally do something that's going to cause me to go to hell. Think about it for a minute. What do we preach all the time? I am a child of God. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm sealed. I'm in his hand and his hand is in the Father's hand. No man can pluck him out of my hand. What can separate me from the love of God? Neither death nor peril or persecution. You know, all, all the things, that Romans 8, all those things that go through. And then they sit there and we go, oh, I hope I don't accidentally get the mark and go to hell. I'm thinking, what did you just do with eternal security? You just threw it out the window like it was like, we, we just blank out that fast. No, I promise you. Another thing is, who are we talking about? It's the mark of the beast. It is the Antichrist. Antichrist. Do you know who lives in me? Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. I'm not going to be tricked into something because I have the presence of God that leads me, guides me, gives me peace, and comforts me. He's not going to slit something in there. By the way, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're okay. We're okay. That's, and I just, I, I, I've just had, I, I've had people come up to me and say, man, if this vaccine comes on, I heard they're going to slip the mark into it, and I'm accidentally, and all. I'm like, oh man, we're Christians. We really need to see what this actually is saying. 
It's much bigger than that. You're not going to just trip over something and went, oh man, I've got the mark. It's like, it's not going to be like that, I promise. I, I, I don't promise, God promises. It's a mark of loyalty or acceptance to the Antichrist. Number two, no one, it's a mark, and describe it that no one can buy or sell without the mark. That is a fact that we know from the scriptures. This is also where we get into, where the Bible, we, we get this understanding when we're talking about uh, a, a cashless society. So when you sit there and say, man, I'm seeing things going around. We're definitely headed towards a cashless society. Can I tell you, I agree with you, we are definitely headed towards a cashless society. All of these things is setting these things up. By far, absolutely. People, but here's the thing, we can be paranoid. We could sit there and I remember for the longest time, and you guys can laugh at me, this is, I remember the fact that when they started doing pay at the pump at gas stations, that I was, I refused to do it. I was just a teenager. I refused to do it. And I said, that is part of the cashless society and I am not giving in. Because of the fact is, you don't even have to go in and pull out money. But in my mind, here I am thinking, man, I'm going to rise above. I'm not getting pulled into this. I'm not. And here I'm thinking, no, it's know what the Bible says. I'm not going to be following the Antichrist in, the, in this thing just because they pay at the pump. So just, just be mindful of these things. And so th- th- does things make sense today when they talk about the chip and things that are going on in our culture today? The fact that they have a chip and that it can be in there and that you can't buy or sell and they have the technology and it has your uh, information. Is that all true? Absolutely. One thing I don't get with that is the fact that if it has to be in the back of the hand or the forehead, how the forehead plays into it. And, And you're saying, well, you're no scientist. You don't know. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. And so all I can do is sit there at something like that when they're doing it and saying, man, that might be the, uh, the mark of the beast. And I'll come back and say, that might be the mark of the beast. But I'm not going to be fearful of it. Why? I'm a child of God. We emphasize that. I'm going to heaven. I'm sealed with the spirit of God. I've been bought with the price. Say, I'm, I'm fireproof when it comes to hell. I'm not bragging. I'm just bragging right now, okay? I, I've been bought with, by Jesus Christ. And so we, we have this. And so, is it an actual mark? Is it a tattoo? Is it a chip? Is it a, we don't know. We can guess, we can, and we can, our minds can go crazy thinking about it, we just don't know. But I do know this, it will change the world. And I do know this, we think we have difficulties with economy now. Think about living when you can't buy or sell. Think about if you can't go get gas, if, if, if you can't go into a grocery store, and even that person selling tomatoes on the side of the road, if they sit there and say, well, I need money, and they, they have some sort of whatever reader of, the, of whatever that one world, I mean, you're in a mess. You are in a mess. And I think people that sit there and say, man, as long as you make it through the tribulation period, there's a lot of things that we need to keep in mind. Number three, let me give you another fact about the mark of the beast. Those who reject the mark will be facing beheaded or being beheaded. You say, that's kind of brutal. Well, let me read it. We get to the end in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I, saw the souls, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and that had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. You talk about pressure during this time of taking it. I mean, it's a matter of rejecting, and it's not a matter of, well, you're going to have a really hard time buying groceries, and Uber Eats is going to be very difficult to order. It's not a matter of that. 
It's a matter of here's your options. And I'm reading this straight from Scripture. We're beheaded. Now, you, you know, we stop and think of how primitive that is, how barbaric. But you don't have to understand Satan rules with fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, of a sound mind. He fills our hearts with peace. It's, that, that's why even when we get into this and Christians are like, man, I hope I don't go through this. Just, hey, listen, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. That's why we have the assurance and the confidence to be uh, out of this world and what he said about the rapture and that, that he, he comes to prepare a place for us and all these things that we have. And so you've got to understand the intense pressure surrounding this mark, which they that did not uh, receive it were beheaded. And the imagery of that, the fear that goes into there, you find out about somebody that you love that stood up and all of a sudden they, they, were, they died of this brutal death like this. And so the facts that I'm trying to give you is just facts, what the Bible says about this. But let me tell you, in our world right now, it helps you to eliminate uh, what it is and what it's not. Because then you say, have we gone halfway through the tribulation period? Are we at that point? Is the, the beast risen up to make us worship him? I mean, is somebody forcing us to taste the, take this so that we can buy ourselves? All these things, start adding them up so that you can say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not fearful of that. Because I am a child of God, and we're not that at that place. And I know the promises of God and what he said through, those, uh, through the Scripture. And so, uh, the next thing that we question about this time as we go through this, is, what will, uh, is for what it will be for the lost. Is there hope for them? Now, I, I, I want to I take a minute, I want to study this part too, because the fact is, this is a big deal. There are some of you, and I'm not going to do a raise of hand, because I think we'd be kind of baffled to see that, you know, if you say... Uh, if you die without Jesus Christ, there's no more hope for you. And I mean, that is a true statement. Without Jesus Christ before or after the rapture, I mean, there is no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ. But the question is, what if my child, what if my friend, whatever, and you know, we've watched the movies and things like that where they've left the notes behind, and if you find this, follow the Bible. And I'm just saying, we're thinking, is that true? Can somebody be saved? Is there no more hope for them? There's a verse in Thessalonians that people will use to kind of allude to that. So can people be saved during the tribulation period? Here's the answer, yes. People will be saved during the tribulation period. Before you just say, okay, well, Pastor Tony thinks so. No, we're, we don't work that way. Revelation 6, 9. And when, I had opened, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So we have to put some things together. Number one, how were they slain for the word of God and the word of their testimony? Because of the fact is, the church has been rescued. I want to point out something too as we go through these verses about those that are saved during the tribulation period. You don't find the word church in the tribulation period. Why is that? When the saved is the bride of Christ, the saved is the church. Because the fact is, the saved or the church is not in the tribulation period. You say, well, maybe they just didn't use that terminology. And I know I'm repeating myself a little bit. Well, if very much so. If you're listening on Sunday mornings when we come here, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about what? The church. Dear church. He wrote letters to the church. And, and I mean, and it's not a question who he's talking about or that word or that reference talks about the pastor and the church. You know what you don't find in Revelation during the tribulation period? The pastor or the church. Why? 
Because you see the gates of hell being open on the world. And the Bible says, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So what is, has to be taken out of the way in order for hell to prevail on the earth? The church has to be gone. Amen. So we see, yes, our people being saved. So who are they? But notice as we do this, they're called saints, and they're being called uh, souls, but they're not being called the church. Just It's a doctrinal thing that we can understand as we go through this. Revelation 7.13, and one of the elders saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Where did they come from? And he said, sir, thou knowest. And said to me, these are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 20, verse 4, which we just read. And I saw the thrones and sat upon the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So we see people being saved during the tribulation period. And I, I just wanted to point this out and explain that. There's almost, in a sense, a revival that happens during the tribulation period. Now, I know this is a weird thing to understand, and I can't fully explain this. Because of the fact is, the Holy Spirit of God doesn't work the way that he does now. And you say, explain that. You see, we'll, we'll get into the verse here in a minute, but I, I want you to understand the fact that the, the God indwells the body of his believers. That's why the church is so powerful, because he doesn't build up temples anymore. That's why I'm leery, and guys, don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to start something by saying this. I get leery or nervous about calling this building the house of God because of the fact is that Jesus Christ has made his people the house of God. And I'm not saying that this place isn't reserved or saved, or we don't, and I'm not saying that whatsoever. It's a technicality. I'm not saying, when we say, man, welcome to this place, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, I'm not saying that that reference is there. But doctrinally speaking, Jesus said very emphatically, I will, not be made, I will not live in a house made with stone and mortar. So don't sit there and think that you have to run to a building to see God. The way that they had to run to a tent to experience the Shekinah glory of God. Because Jesus said, I will dwell in them. You talk about the dwelling place of God, we are the dwelling place of God. And so I won't go through that, but I, I want you to understand that there was a time that, that God was working through Gideon and Abraham and, and Joshua. And I think a lot of what we read in this, it's the working of the Spirit of God, but it's not the same thing as the indwelling of the Spirit of God because of what we read in the Bible of describing it. But during this time, God will speak through the 144,000. There is 144,000 Jews then he rises up out of there. And the Bible says in Revelation 7, 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed with 144,000 in the tribes of the children of Israel. And if you see that, they are witnesses. They are 144,000 witnesses. Have this understanding, and God awakens them during this time. But God will also speak through the two witnesses. So that the gospel is going out during this time. But if you notice, every time we read of it, it's never being referenced as the church. It says in Revelation eleven three, And I will give power unto my witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. And these are two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if a man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies, and if there any, will, uh, any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. 
You talk about the people being saved during the tribulation period. This just blows my mind of the fact of how God is so persistent that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that he rises up these prophets. And during this time, they hate the gospel. Do you guys understand that? Why is that? Who's the ruler at the time? The Antichrist. What is he against? Everything that is of God. What is taken out of the way? The church. So all of a sudden, you talk about a target, somebody rise up and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, you got a target on your back automatically. Why do you think they go so far to behead Christians during that time? To be able to say with all their heart, you don't cross me. We don't hear that name around here. I am God. Don't lift him up. Things to keep in mind about people being saved during the tribulation period. Number one, there will be great deception of Satan. Now think about this. We have great revivals and awakening. And we were talking Sunday about the working of the Spirit of God and what it was like on Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came down like cloven tongues and rested upon all their heads and it was like fire and all that other stuff. You think about the power of God and then you think about how little revival we have today and what God has promised and the apathy that we have. And then you pull even the apathetic, if you will, Christians out of the way. What do you have left? Then Satan comes in on top of that and he rules the world with great deception to the point in 2 Thessalonians, and this cause God send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. That they might all be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. So you've got to understand what is going on during this time. It's not like we, we would imagine where, you know, the rapture happens, somebody's left behind, and they're like, wait a minute, nobody's at the church. Dear God, I ask now for you to... Yeah, we, we would like to think that just because we have an understanding of this, but you have to understand during this time, what is happening in the world is great delusion. Deception, lies on a level that we can't even understand. Number two, keep the, this in mind for people being saved. The church will be absent. And I say that because the church has been the ones that have been commissioned that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost and you shall be witnesses unto me. What do you pull out when you pull the church out? Pull the witness out. You pull the power. You pull the influence. You pull the discipleship. All those things out. If you see the people are being saved today, God works through the local church. And I'm not saying God obviously doesn't, he, he has another method of reaching people because of the simple fact that we see that he raises up the two witnesses and also the fact that he raises up the 144,000. So we know that God still works, but it won't be the same without the church. Number three, there will be extreme opposition against the gospel. And I kind of reiterated this as we go through this. And I said in Revelation 20 verse 4, when you think about this, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And for not receiving the mark. But did you notice that it, in, it says it in there? For why were they beheaded? For the witness of Jesus. You think about that. We, we have a hard time getting people to go witnessing for Jesus if it's raining or it's cold. We have a hard time getting people to come to church because some people say 11 o'clock is too early on Sunday. You know, you know this hard opposition that we face, the really trying times that we go through now? Compare that to, by the way, an announcement on TV and social media and everything all the time. If you dare mention Jesus Christ, when you are arrested, you will be beheaded. Uh, yeah, that's just going to, that's going to like, woohoo, let's go do this. I mean, 
You can imagine the opposition to the point where the only reason why the two witnesses were so effective is because God gave them some unique spiritual power. And guys, this sounds like a science fiction story. Let's just be honest. It sounds crazy to talk about this stuff. But what happened during that time? God gave the two witnesses the power to defend themselves by breathing out fire. Now, I, 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 can't, I can't describe this. I can't imagine. I, can't, I, I really can't. But if you read that part of it, it, it literally anybody that came to them, he had, they had the power to kill them. That's the only way. But why in the world did they have to have that power? Because people were constantly trying to kill them. Think about that. Number four, they can't be saved if they receive the mark of the beast. And I know this, this point is controversial, but let me give you this. It says, Revelation 20 verse 4, and I go to the second part, neither had they received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Talking about those that were beheaded and those that were welcomed into heaven. And so there's other places that say this. Here's where the debate comes in. Because we have that verse. It's obvious that the Bible says that. Read the whole verse. It goes into those that were, were saved during this time. But the debate is then, does that mean there is one thing that can trump the blood of Jesus Christ? There's one sin, and that sin is taking the mark of the beast. Now, what do we know is that this, the, the great sin that is unforgivable is, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, or what we would refer to as the unpardonable or the unforgivable sin. So it comes down to the question would be, and I, I, I listened to a lot of people. I was trying to dig this out. I wanted to give you guys a powerhouse answer about, I, I give you straight what the verse says right here, but then the other doctrines that come in along with it. Does that mean if somebody came to it unknowingly, they received the mark, that then they can't be saved? And one guy came out and said, does that mean that that is the unpardonable sin? Does that mean receiving the mark of the beast is that allegiance at that? And that could be so, and maybe that's why it says that. That the actual mark of the beast is rejection of God and acceptance of the fate of, of damnation. But anyways, we know that the verse says that. Number five the working of the Spirit of God will be different. And I mentioned that, but let me give you the verse. Ephesians, or 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Who is he that letteth will let, which is the Holy Spirit of God, until he be taken out of the way. Now, I know I've used that verse a number of times as we've gone through that, but let me explain this. It is the Spirit of God that limits the power of Satan. Uh, being able to do what he'd like to do. Because you've got to think, Jesus showed up to the maniac of Gadara. What happened? He, he had to, with all that power that he had to ruin that man's life, when he came into the presence of Jesus, what did he do? He bowed down and worshipped. He, no, he had no chance to do anything because he stood before the great I Am. I mean, it, it was impossible for him to overpower. And he was literally saying, is it time for you to torment us? Are you going to torment us before our time? And he even alludes to this. So you've got to understand the only way that this could happen is the Spirit of God is lifting up his hand to allow the gates of hell to be able to inter, intervene in the, the works of man and what's going on. And so, like I said, the, the, the description of what I've read of a lot of people allude to this, that this reference would make it more like what it is um, in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God came across, upon them and like Samson and those types of people. So once again, we don't know. I'm just... I love just giving, here's the verse, here's the facts, you know, of what it could be. So I ask you this question. Can people be saved 
during the tribulation period? Yes. And we see the evidence of that. We see the results of them accepting. We saw the results of them not accepting. Let me ask you another question. Will it be easy? No. No. I mean, it's, I mean we think of the environments that we have today where we have a place. We have Christians inviting them to the place. We have a pulpit. We have music, we have worship, we sing, we testify, we share the information, we go on Facebook, we wear the t-shirts, we have it on the signs. We invite people. We have Facebook Live. We have online messages and podcasts and radio stations and worship music. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. Take all that out. You mentioned that we're Jesus. You could be beheaded. There's no place to invite them. You don't know who you can talk to. You don't know how you can talk to them. You don't know if they're going to turn you in. I mean, you think about what it's going to be like and then say, wow, they're just, no, the opposition is absolutely indescribable of what they will go through when it comes to that. That's why people preach today, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Be right, get right, be ready to go when God comes back. We roll from there back to where we ended last week. Seal number seven, the silence in heaven. Revelation chapter eight, verse one, basically starts the great tribulation. It starts the three and a half year period. It starts what we see in Revelation 13 when we start talking about the Antichrist dies, the Antichrist is uh, raised from the dead, the Antichrist rises up, they worship the beast, he comes down on them, I am now your God, you now follow me, you now submit to me, I now call the shots. He places himself as the power of Jesus. They're in all of this guy, all these things. And then what we see, it happens in heaven. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of a half hour. Almost like heaven going, <gasps> for what about to be poured out from heaven on, the, on the, the, the earth? Indescribable about what we're about to read. It, it ought to make us have chills go down our back. It ought to make us sick to our stomach. It ought to make us I, I, fearful in the correct way of it. Not, not fearful that that's going to happen, but it ought to stir us up to know that that's going to happen to those that we love.